and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, and I guide you gently through another show. We're done with Thanksgiving. We've got, I think, three shows left for the rest of the year. So, uh, big finish. Lots to lots going on. Lots of pitches. Lots of people moves out there, and we'll talk about some of those. We've got an amazing guest this week, listeners. We have the return of the one and only Sabrina Sanchez, once of this parish, a reporter on PR Week. She's now the creative editor on our sister title, Campaign US. Sabrina, welcome back. It's been a long time. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? Come on, sound a bit more excited. I'm doing amazing. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> Just because you're on campaign now, don't forget your old friends at PR Week. Never. <laughs> so Sabrina's going to talk to us about a bunch of creative things. She's been doing some interesting travels uh, recently over to the West Coast for Ad Color, and uh, she's uh, went to a Spotify event. She'll tell us about. And we got the one, the only, the governor himself, Frank Washkirk, our executive editor, who's going to talk about the big news of the week. How are you doing, Frank? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Good to, good to be you. here with Sabrina. Yes, we miss Sabrina. Not that she doesn't sit more than five feet away. Well, she from does us sit seat, next to us, but she, we don't get <laughs> to work here. with her as closely as we did. But she's still part of the team. Always will be PR tattooed on her heart. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. <laughs> um, so Frank's going to talk about COP28. That's kicking off. This whole Sports Illustrated AI crisis is a bit of a strange one. Lots of uh, people moves, quite big ones. So we'll run through those. Pitfin Partners won a nice piece of business. Next 15, slightly disappointing numbers, but uh, not the only holding company to do that. What about this uh, Sam Altman and OpenAI thing and uh, how that all turned out and uh, news of another launch from PR Week? of our annual program. But Sabrina, let's talk to you first. You went to Spotify Wrapped, didn't you? Which uh, sounded like a fun event. And uh, first of all, tell us all about it. What What is Spotify Wrapped and why should we be interested? Oh yeah, Spotify Wrapped. It's a, it's a time of the year is what it is. Uh, I went to Spotify's offices yesterday and they talked to me about Spotify Wrapped. We're speaking Wrapped. on Wednesday, so that would be Tuesday, yeah? Yes. Yes. So... Tuesday. Uh, Spotify Wrapped is an annual campaign. It's been going on for nine years. And essentially, it's a recap of your year in music. So they do this really fun campaign where they collect all the stats of what you listen to that year. They give you your top artists, your most played songs, your most listened to podcasts, and, you know, just about everything in between, even when what month you peaked in your listening. Um, and so this year, they made it really exciting. They even characterized people's feelings and experiences and how they listen with different characteristics from like a vampire, which describes a moody listener to an alchemist, which is someone that makes a lot of playlists. So it was really fun. Um, and they have out of home elements that are going along with well, this. Let's stop you there. What are you? I'm a vampire. Oh, well. <laughs> yes, I'm a moody listener. I like very ambient music. Okay. Yeah. And this includes podcasts as well, right? Yes. This include podcasts, which was interesting because, um, you know, it's sort of an area that Spotify has been growing. So it's been interesting to see what are the top listened to podcasts, what's sort of being anticipated. So there was a lot of cool highlights there. And can anyone, anyone who's downloaded Spotify and used it at all can go and get their sort of profile, can they? Or do you have to have used it a certain amount? 
No, you can see it as long as you used it. So if you only listen 10 minutes that year, you're going to get 10 minutes on your recap. Mm-hmm. Are you a Spotify user, Frank? No, I'm not. I'm an Apple Music uh, user. Okay. No Spotify wrapped for you then? No, no. It's, um, but, but Apple Music does a, a similar thing. And, you know, um, you can look back with embarrassment or horror or whatever on what you <laughs> listen to all year. What's Sabrina been listening to this year? What are, what are the highlights apart from Bad Bunny? Any guesses? Oh, Taylor. No, I'm not a T-Swift, <laughs> T-Swifty, whatever they call themselves. <laughs> I was listening to Bad Bunny. That's my number one artist. My second artist is Carol G. And I listen to a lot of urban Latino music. Uh, some other artists on my list were Cavedo, who's from Spain. Yeah. And um, Tiny, who is a producer that makes Latin urban music. Okay. I should check some of that out. And if, can you go and look at other people's uh, wrapped so, profiles or are they kind of private? What's the? It's very shareable. You can share them online. And I'm sure if you've been on Instagram at all, you've probably seen it on somebody's story today. Um, and, you know, there's there's other ways to see kind of what people listen to. So Spotify has this feature that's called Blend where you can make shared playlists. And so they kind of did a cool integration with rap this year where you can see people's integrated playlists based on multiple people's raps. Now, can people um, manipulate their own numbers, so to speak? Like, you know, say they went through a a tough patch and they don't want, you know, what they were listening to at the time. (laughs) Requiems. You know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, is that possible or... I highly doubt that. I think the numbers Asking don't lie. For a numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't share it online yeah. if that's the case. Ooh, good thing I'm not a Spotify user, anyway. So. <laughs> what are you? Uh, I interrupted you there, Sabrina. What else, what else was part of the event, and why is it kind of relevant to brands or marketing? Yeah. So, um, you know, other things that were part of the event and some new features that they rolled out. Now you can see how your genres sort of measured up in sort of a sandwich. So you get to see like which was the meatiest part and which were the less meaty parts. Um, They also have a lot of out of home elements that they're going to be dropping. So nods to some of the artists and like their phrases or moves, you know. Um, So there's going to be some... There's this one pop-up that I really like. It's called like the lie detector pop-up. And it's based on the song, The Boy's a Liar with Pink Panthers featuring Ice Spice. And you can essentially take your boyfriend to take a lie detector test and find out if he's a liar. So there's a lot of cool activations. They're also going to have little yachts with a picture of Lil Yachty uh, floating around a pond in Atlanta. And there's going to be a a couple of other cool activations. So Producer Fitz, have you heard of Lil Yachty? You know, I have, but I couldn't tell you one thing. Little yachty. kids listen to. <laughs> I don't know, man. I was thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking about my Spotify wrapped, and it probably looks so stupid. Just so. <laughs> yeah, my, because you listen to all sorts of yeah. weird stuff. Do you, do you think, though, that this uh, pushes people to uh, not listen to music that perhaps they would want to be out of self-consciousness? <laughs> You know, I honestly don't think that that's a problem. Yeah. In that- we're betraying our generation. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> what I was going to say. People your age just shamelessly share everything. Yeah, we just, yeah, yeah whatever. Like, it's going online. It doesn't right. matter. Um, I think this is cool for brands, too, because it gives them an opportunity to see what music people are into. Obviously, you know, this year, a lot of songs peaked thanks to some really big tours. I mean, Taylor Swift is now the number one global artist. She passed Bad Bunny. After three years of Bad Bunny holding the number one spot, don't worry, we'll get it back. How are we measuring that, though? 
by plays or by... It's based by most streams globally. So, you know, and that's obviously a testament to her concert um, or her tour this year. Uh, The Beehive with Beyonce was another huge tour this year. And then um, actually some of the Barbie soundtrack songs made the cut as well in the Spotify global, you know, streaming charts. So I think it's interesting. It gives brands a lot of insight into what's moving the needle and what people are interested in listening to. (laughs) Music is obviously one of the number one ways to connect with people. What about Madonna? She's on some big world tour. She's still relevant. I can't say I saw her unwrapped. But then again, maybe that's just mine. But, you know, there were some other some other big artists on there. Dolly Parton was on there. Oh, so, Dolly. I mean, so, but she's a legend. She's timeless, right? right? Yeah. So. What if I'm a secret, you know, Joe Rogan listener on Spotify or call, or call her daddy, is it? Is that that uh, Alex Cooper podcast? That, that could show up and be a bit embarrassing, couldn't it? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. So actually, the Joe Rogan podcast was the number one most listened to podcast this year. Yeah. And the most anticipated podcast was Call Her Daddy. No. So no surprise. How did they measure anticipation? I think they they um, saw it by basically basically how quickly users listen to an episode when they came out. Um, I actually need to double check with them, but I, I remember the conversation being something around you know, how many streams it got in a single day mm-hmm. um, yeah. or like in a week. Okay. So where can uh, listeners catch up with your stories on this? Is it campaignlive.com? Yes. Campaignlive.com. Wrapped is right on the front page. So go check out Did your Did we wrapped. pick that one up, Frank? Yes. We can also get it on prweek.com yes. as well because <laughs> we are into sharing content here. If it's relevant to our listeners and viewers, and I think that that that's a, a perfect example. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Tell us about. Obviously, it's Black Friday. We're coming out of that. We had Small Business Saturday. We had Cyber Monday. It's Giving Tuesday. Were there any, for, you know, from the advertising point of view? We know e-commerce was a record spend, but it's a record every year. But that's on Friday, isn't it? So, where does Cyber Monday fit in now when everyone's spending online anyway? Yeah. So the interesting thing this year is spending online started a lot earlier than usual this year. Um, You know, I think a lot of brands are just doing sales much earlier than usual. So um, it kind of... So they don't wait for the day anymore. Yeah. People aren't really waiting for the day. They're sort of shopping in the days leading up to Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Interestingly enough, also Black Friday had record online spend. And I think that, you know, again, is a testament to the fact that a lot of sales are going on with much more anticipation. Um, so, you know, Adobe Analytics has that uh, $38 billion in online sales happened during Cyber Week. So it beat out its $37.2 billion estimate, and it's marking a 7.8 year over year increase. And uh, also during Cyber Week, mobile shopping overtook other devices, okay. which you know, surprise, surprise. Yeah, I, I do more mobile shopping, especially on Amazon. Sorry, hate to admit it. But it's so easy, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> now, um, you have had your Christmas tree up for a number of weeks already, haven't you? Yes. And um, big fan of the holiday period. Tell me about the merging of the holiday campaigns into sort of Thanksgiving and how that works and the separation and, and the amount of spend and any interesting campaigns you've seen. Yeah. So holiday ads, again, I think this is also going along with the trend in general that we've been seeing with things happening earlier than usual. A testament of that is pumpkin spice lattes came out earlier this year. 
in August. Yeah. So we've been seeing holiday campaigns for quite a bit. I've been getting pitches about them since the summer, believe it or not. And, um, you know, we kind of have seen a lot of general holiday ads. A lot of them are very Christmas spirit like, et cetera. But we have seen also some Thanksgiving specific ads, which sort of speak to the testament of diverse experiences, diverse cultures and foods. And I think that blends in really well with the holidays. So that's what we've been seeing. And then again, you know, I think for for how that converts to shopping, we're seeing a lot more activity since I want to say even September. So campaigns that kind of link straight to the the buying part of the process and almost connect you to it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Interesting stuff. Now you were back from LA where you went to ad color a few weeks ago. So tell us what ad color is and tell us how it was this year. Yeah. So ad color is a conference where diverse leaders in the advertising, marketing and communications industries gather and they talk about, you know, championing diversity in the industry And um, it was my first ad color in person. Um, I had spoken with some folks beforehand and I set up some nice meetings and we chatted about what the industry needs. But I think what was most interesting was the conversations on the ground and the panels. I think the theme that emerged in a lot of the panels were that calls are coming in to reframe and refocus DEI. It's no surprise that a lot of companies have sort of like lost touch with that and it's sort of fallen by the wayside. So a lot of the conversation was that DEI hasn't evolved or the storytelling around DEI hasn't evolved to reflect that it's more than just a race issue and that it needs to be intertwined with business goals. So essentially, DEI has a communication problem. And that was the theme that was abound at Ad Color. A lot of people were talking about it in conversations, at panels and Q&As. And so there are calls to have organizations basically create a DEI division separate from the HR function tied to business goals and, you know, reframe the storytelling around it to make sure that employees and leaders alike are aware of what DEI is, what fits into DEI, and that it's more than just a race issue. Yeah, because the momentum has fallen away a little bit, hasn't it, since the since 2020 and the George Floyd murder and the big focus on it then. But so I guess that leads us into our final segment, which is about the Hispanic market opportunity. There are more than 60 million Hispanic people in the US it's it's not a it's not a minority group if it ever was that's a massive um, opportunity for brands and anyone who's selling or wants to get the attention now you can't treat a whole community as one because it's made up of 20 odd disparate groups but uh, tell us about your thoughts on that and maybe how that plays into what you were talking about at ad color and linking de and i to business results yeah, 100%. Um, you know, Hispanic purchasing power is $3.4 trillion based on most recent estimates. So if it was its own country, it would be the fifth largest economy in the world. I think like a lot of people just don't understand that yet. Um, and companies, you know, there there have definitely been more external efforts to champion diversity in like the Hispanic market, but definitely not nearly enough as Perhaps they should be. Um, And so I think that that goes hand in hand with diversity internally, right? You have to champion diverse efforts internally so that you can have the workforce and the teams that are going to produce the campaigns that are going to attract this super powerful audience. With the Hispanic marketing, you know, that means incorporating both languages and depicting Hispanic audiences in English language media while also acknowledging their native tongue. You know, a lot of conversation surrounds Bad Bunny and his presence and influence 
in the culture. But I'll give you an example from my Spotify wrapped Bad Bunny's most recent album, Nadia Sabe Lo Que Va a Pasar Mañana, navigates both languages very easily. He has English phrases in the middle of his Spanish language raps and he's learning English as well. So it's a reflection of both him and the rest of this community that he represents. So, yeah. yeah. And we saw that when he hosted Saturday Night Live, didn't we? That he was doing sketches in English, in Spanish, in, in Spanglish, for want of a better word. And that you see that in marketing, don't you, as well? I think it was the, I blogged about this the other week, the F-150, Ford F-150 mm-hmm. had an English segment of it when the characters were talking about the vehicle in terms of their leisure use and then a Spanish segment when they were talking about their business use of the vehicle, which was kind of an interesting way of treating it. Yeah, and more brands are doing this. I've seen some McDonald's ad do this. Cheetos has done this. Um, You know, I think there's a lot more brands that are starting to tap into this insight that we speak in both languages. I know I forget Spanish language words all the time and English ones too. So, you know, I think navigating that nuance and, and in general, just having ads that tap into multiple languages are always going to resonate with people. Um, speaking a little bit about the holiday ads, actually, one of my favorite holiday ads that I've recently seen is Disney's A Wish for the Holidays. And this ad navigates a bunch of different world cultures, different uh, practices for the holidays and different languages. What I like about that ad is that I don't need to understand all the languages to understand the feeling that it evokes. And I think Disney is understanding that as well as some of the other brands that are tapping into these different cultural groups in the way that they communicate and that feels authentic. Yeah. I forget a lot of words too, but that's just old age, I'm afraid. So that's all ahead of you. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I think McDonald's has been historically very good and General Mills and other brands. So uh, yeah, thanks for that roundup. No problem. Really great to have you back and we'll get your input into some of the news stories but thanks for guesting again on the podcast it's good to have you back on the show frank let's get into we've got lots to talk about cop 28 how did the wall street journal describe this this is hilarious yeah it's a it's a headline in the wall street journal um welcome to cop 28 the u.n climate conference hosted by an oil giant (laughs) (laughs) you don't often see the wall street journal take out the lumber like that on uh, (laughs) something so business friendly but here we are uh but it says that uh, i don't know to me that maybe we're giving people a bit too much credit with talking about how they're greenwashing things because they they clearly have a lot of convincing left to do uh you know whether that's dubai or other oil rich countries so uh, yeah so that's how it's playing look there's a lot of uh big pr firms there working on behalf of clients whether that's cop 28 itself or energy companies or other countries it's um from what i can tell from our colleagues over in london pr week uk it seems to be very busy on the ground there mm-hmm. and it, you know it, it, it's obviously uh, maybe we shouldn't get lost in how the coverage is going because it's obviously a very important topic and um you know obviously uh, fossil fuels in the future are something that um, there has to be a high level discussion of, you know, what the future of it's going to be like. And that's happening there. So, yeah. Yeah. Keeping a close eye on it. So pictures of Richard Edelman that he posted on social media in front of the uh, Expo Center where the conference is taking place. And he got a bit of heat from The Guardian, the UK um, newspaper, didn't he, about his work with Saudi and uh, linking it to the trust barometer. Well, yeah, and like that's the million-dollar question, right? You know, the clients that you work with, ultimately, it's they're, they're going to come back to pointing at you. 
So, you know, whether that's, you know, and I, I think this is a very activist uh, piece by The Guardian, you know, as is their right. Uh, and they're obviously yeah, there's no very, particular new information in yeah. there, was there? But I, 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 I think that the clients you work with ultimately are going to become your agency's brand and, you know, what you stand for and values and all of those things. Yeah. So we'll, we'll probably talk about COP28 next week as well. Is that on your radar, radar on campaign, Sabrina, or is it more of a sort of reputation comms PR story? I do think that whether or not it's a calm story, everyone sort of pays attention to the involvement with any business as it relates to the climate. There's a lot of talk. There's less action. So, you know, I think from from a campaign standpoint, we're obviously watching how it unfolds if it does end up becoming a communications crisis or, you know, um, whether or not brands are just paying lip service to the issue. So, yeah. And you can always pick up a bit of PR Week copy if you need to just sort of tip your hat to it, for sure. Sure. Let's talk about another hot issue, AI, and um, always stories about AI on the podcast and and in general. But Sports Illustrated got itself into a bit of a sticky situation. Yeah, wow, did they? Uh, I mean, and it's just completely unnecessary and frankly dumb. Um, from what used to <laughs> what be. What do you really think? No, I, used to, I mean, Sports <laughs> Illustrated used to be such a such a great publication and, and used to do really good work. And I, I was talking about the photography in Sports, Sports Illustrated used to be incredible uh, week to week. Um, mm. Anyway, so they um, basically partnered with a company, uh, and this is their side of it, that produced articles for its website written under the byline of authors who don't exist. But um, it denied an earlier report that the stories themselves were written by an artificial intelligence tool. And we should say they were, they were caught because of headshots of the supposed authors that were AI generated or up for sale uh, or bottom line is not authentic. Um, so, you know, look, I mean, it, people on uh, in, in the media are going to be using AI for, for things. I think the, the important thing is to be, you know, honest with your readers or your users and how you're using it. You know, if you're using it for research or scheduling, or that's one thing, but obviously it shouldn't be passed off as actual human work, which was yeah, what they were accused of in this case. So, and you've got to do your due diligence, of course, especially if you're using a third party vendor, like in this case. Which yeah, it's 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 sad. Egregious. There's a lot of there's a lot of one time really great magazines who are now yeah. not so great. Sad to see. By the way, I do think there will be, in the next 18 months, a media property that is produced solely by robots, which is going back to our old familiar topic on the podcast, Frank, robots, yes. of us all being overtaken by robots or replaced. And I think it could be a good product if it's done properly and if it has proper oversight. Yeah. You know, it would actually be quite interesting. It's just the way it's being done with some of these early things is – is it's just lazy to be yeah. honest, and it's just trying to cost cut. I think, and uh, it's not the it's not best practice for AI. Sabrina, in terms of AI, are you seeing? I know there was a winner at the big campaign, big awards recently that used AI in a really interesting way. I don't know if you want to talk to us about that, the IHOP um, uh, campaign. But have, have you? What are you seeing in creativity terms in terms of AI being used in a smart way? Yeah, the IHOP campaign won at the Campaign US Big Awards, and that campaign essentially just showed consumers how to use generative AI or the creative ways that you can use it by stacking pancakes. And they just essentially prompted an Adobe AI tool to Photoshop more and more pancakes. To the moon. 
to the moon. Yeah, they went all the way to space. That's a lot so, of pancakes. Yeah, very simple concept, but a creative way to showcase the tool and its possibilities. I have seen a few other AI campaigns. One of my personal favorites recently is actually a PetSmart Charities campaign. And I love dogs, so bear with me. This Shout campaign, out to Kojo. To Kujo, yes. Kujo, That's sorry. my little diabetic dog. <laughs> um, and so PetSmart Charities essentially just creative created a generative AI tool that's called Rescue Writer. And it's basically a tool that shelters can use to create affectionate and heartwarming uh, descriptions and bios for pets because research shows that pets that have good bios are more likely to get adopted. So I think it's a wonderful concept. It's very easy to use. You just pick out certain characteristics to describe your pet, whether that's cuddly or calm or playful and then based on the words that you choose, you type in a name and it will generate a bio for your pet. And so now Rescue Writer can be used by different staff, volunteers, shelters to help their pets get adopted. Yeah, good stuff. And I think we'll see some, it'll be interesting to see in the PR Week Awards judging, which is happening next week, how much we see AI used in smart ways. And then when we go through to next year to Cannes and, and beyond, because... Uh, Obviously, it's still a hot topic. Frank, uh, Finn Partners won a nice piece of business. Talk us through it. Yes, they did. And uh, a really interesting brand to work with. So Finn Partners is the new PR and brand communications AOR for Denny's, which uh, has done some really interesting stuff in the past. I remember the stunt in which they sort of sent out a, a, a fake but real press release, sort of acting like they, they had a, a memo leak a number of years ago. And Denny's was, has done some interesting stuff. Was um, it hilarious, Frank, or did it fall flat? Well, a lot of people thought it was hilarious. Did you? A lot of a lot of people thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Not necessarily me, but a lot of people did. So You um, missed that, don't you, Sabrina? On the PR Week news desk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, Finn Partners is going to lead overall PR for the brand, uh, including support for brand communications, corporate reputation, crisis and issues management, DE&I, CSR, ESG, and executive visibility run by its Chicago office. Okay, that's a good win. Who it was, is a good win. Do we know who the incumbent was? The incumbent was Allison and Partners. Okay. On the move. Loads of big people moves this week, so I'm just going to get you to sweep through them because there are a bunch of really interesting yeah, ones. Yeah, re really. Well, um, well, Sam Altman is a people move, but we'll get to him, right? Um, sort of moving and yeah. moving back. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one strategy group has brought on Brian Elner as its president. That firm launched in 2022, and uh, it was rebranded to one strategy group this month. You know, interesting. He, he's reporting the CEO, David Medvin. And we reported on his uh, prior move leaving BCW earlier. And WPP. And WPP, yeah. yes, earlier this month. A bit of a sad one here. And the Salient Global has named Trisha Ewald um, as, its new, as its new CEO, replacing Brian Specht, who died way too early at the age of 50 yeah. last month. So, yeah, she will be officially, She's uh, she was Brian's longtime business partner, and um, she'll be officially taking the helm there. Here's an interesting one in one of the latest Weber, Weber Shanwick hires, and there have been a bunch recently, but they brought on Earl Cockfield as their North American crisis leader. He joins from Brunswick. Now, a, interesting to point out, he's going to do this in North America. Peter Duda, the president of Crisis and Issues, will lead that practice globally. And uh, you got to clarify nowadays, so Earl is going to be um, 
he's going to be working with Weber Shanwick, not necessarily the Weber Shanwick Collective. But he did mention that the firm has worked with clients with high profile crises this year, including Bud Light and Norfolk Southern, two of the biggest crises of the past year. Known to our readers, Errol is, as uh, I think for spending a number of years at MSNBC. Yeah, that's uh, right. Their top spokesperson. Now, this is a big one. Intel has brought on Karen Kahn, who is an alum of HP as its chief communications officer. Interestingly, she also has semiconductor industry experience from when she worked at Broadcom. Now, she is going to report to the EVP chief commercial officer in GM of sales, marketing, and communications, Christoph Schell. Now, that is a long title, and she is going to replace Tara Smith, who left in November in a really interesting people move to join the B2B tech agency Voxus as a managing partner. Um, so that's an interesting one there. Philip Morris International has a new U.S. communications lead. That's Travis Parman, uh, who was most recently at App Harvest as the chief communications officer. Uh, he's reporting up to Stacey Kennedy, president of the Americas region and CEO of Philip Morris International's U- uh, U.S. business. But he also has a dotted line reporting structure to Marion Salzman, well-known to our audience, and she is the SVP of Global Communications at PMI, which largely operates outside of the U.S., but is is looking to establish itself here and also looking to change its reputation from a cigarette company to smoking cessation company. So, yeah, that's the people moves. Yeah, that was week. that last one. Travis, his father died of emphysema at um, 63, I think he said, and... And that's why he wants to join PMI to help them move toward their smokeless future, which I found interesting. Um, you know, you can debate how far that uh, move has gone. You know, I still think they make most of their profits out of tobacco and um, the, their new smoking, smokeless products have not really taken off in the US, which I guess is part of his job. You do see it a lot more in Europe, that smoking system. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's not vaping, but it's... Um, I'd argue you see a lot more smoking in general in Europe, but... Yeah, probably right, actually. Yeah. Probably right. So, yeah, interesting job. So, um, yeah, good luck to everybody involved with those. Next 15 posts its results this week, Frank. Slightly disappointing. Yeah, although, a bit of a you know, rough... There were a few disappointing holding company numbers yeah. this time, weren't they? Uh, a bit of a rough go for them for uh, the fiscal year. So let's talk about their customer engagement division, which includes Archetype, uh, Brandwith, and Booth, and Booth Health, Outcast. So basically the group of PR firms. Now there was a decline in that group. And, and it's an interesting way of putting it. They said it was caused partially by, quote, some client spend delays, which makes you it sort of raises other questions there, doesn't it? You know, is it just is it just budget pullback or is this a case of, um, you know, clients taking as long as they can to pay, which we've heard a lot about in the past few years, right? I think clients this year have, in general, yeah. delayed spend or cut spend and are being much more cautious. And that's you see that across the board for sure. Yeah. Uh, net revenue overall there was up 2.5% in the three months uh, that ended in the uh, at the end of October versus year over year. Okay, let's talk about Sam Altman. That was what dominating the news cycle, wasn't it? And uh, Ewan uh, Larkin wrote a piece about how he pretty much ran rings around the open AI board on social media, which of course... Yeah, is a- and what's what's interesting about this too is that, you know, look, we got, we got third-party expert commentary into the story, but a lot of it was just that he was honest and nice, 
in what he was saying. He was gracious and and sort of <coughs> left the door open. Authentic. In terms of returning. Yeah, authentic, which is the word of the year. <laughs> so I'm told Merriam-Webster. Um, and look, he, he thanked his former colleagues. He And a lot of that went a long way in terms of him ending up back there. Um, but it also really differentiated him from the board, which put out a statement that said, um, you know, there, there was something improper that happened, but they didn't quite say what. Uh, and it really drew a line between the two things. Yeah, they flubbed it, didn't they, basically? As yeah. As a crisis response, as a social media response. Yeah, and, and frankly, this whole story still leaves us all wondering what happened here. Mm. And there was talk that Microsoft may or may not get a, a spot on the board of OpenAI. Well, they should, considering how much they've invested in the, yeah. in the company. Yeah. It'd be kind of bizarre for them not to. Sabrina, you got a take on this one? It's one of the biggest business stories around, and obviously it's another AI-related thing. Yeah, I have a theory about this. Oh, tell us your theory. After I read Ewan's story, I think it's more than just the fact that he was nice. Hear me out on this, Frank. It's the fact that he didn't use capital letters in his tweets. Bear with me for a second here. I do feel that that, like, informality kind of makes him a little bit more appealing, especially to young, to younger audiences. I mean, he is young, and I think it... So it was all lowercase. All lowercase. Right. See, I wondered if it was like a, a personal choice to do that. Like it was like an E. Cummings thing. I don't know, but I definitely feel like he knows what he's doing there. I think that was a choice. So you think it was the lowercase? Yeah. Hmm. Is that a meme then in Gen Z? It's not a meme, lowercase but... social just, media posts. There's just something a little bit less formal and, and more appealing about someone that doesn't use capital letters, especially coming from a CEO, right? Hmm. You know, when you compare this against the board statement, it's a lot more corporate and it's more buttoned up. And it's like, who are these people? You know, mm. it's like big brother that's super far away and you can't reach him. But Frank, then Sam what, is what, accessible. Yeah. What do you think, Frank? Should we write all our news stories all lowercase? Do you Probably think not. Kevin no. Zitzman on the production desk would like Well, that? considering how many agencies there are out there that claim all of the letters in their names are uppercase. Oh, yeah. We love them, them, don't we? Yeah. Um, our style, by the way, is not to do shouty names, as uh, many of those companies <laughs> know. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. And obviously, we'll uh, track how that one plays out. And to finish up, we launched our Women of Distinction again for 2024. Frank. Yes. And it. Uh, so here is the elevator pitch version of Women of Distinction 2024. It's broken down into two categories, Women of Distinction and Women to Watch. And Women of Distinction are more experienced, high-level, uh, top executive communicators. And Women to Watch are executives who are more on their way up in the industry, but deserve recognition for uh, blazing a trail, so to speak. So um, you can nominate for either of those. And the big day is going to be May 30th when there'll be a celebration of the winners in New York City. The deadline's snow. Uh, the standard deadline is the 19th of January, and the extended deadline is a week later. Yep. Great program and a great event. So make sure you get your best performers entered into that process. It's very competitive, but it's very worthwhile. A few other things. We've got our last big event of 2023 on Monday. It's the Hall of Fame dinner in New York City. Really looking forward to that. And that's um, that's going to be sort of close out the year for us in terms of events. We'll uh, have the shortlist 
for the PR Week Awards. That will be announced. I think it's uh, December 12th, isn't it, Frank? So uh, make sure you've got that on your radar. Got the salary survey open. Please make sure you've taken a few minutes to enter that. Healthcare awards are open. We will be in Davos. So please let us know if you're attending and uh, we'd love to hook up with you while you're there. And um, Global Awards in London in mid-May and uh, Healthcare Awards will be in May as well toward the start of the month. And the big Oscars of the PR industry in New York City on March 15th, is it, Frank? I haven't got all my dates in front of me this week. Sorry. March 15th. Yeah. Um, which is going to be massive. It's going to be mega. So look out for that. But that's all we've got time for. Sabrina, such a pleasure to have you back on the show. So thank you for uh, honouring us with your presence. We really enjoyed it. And uh, always great to have you back on. Anytime. I'll be back for the Super Bowl. She will. She will. I'll be back, she says, and she will. So yeah, have a great time. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.